Well, it seems like a real teachable moment. We're having a lot of those moments lately, aren't we? Too many. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI 92.9 FM, Maui, Hawaii's 88.5 FM KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN 94.1 FM, Palinville, New York's 102.9 FM WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik, blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all around... Swell Fellow Says Me from Bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for another thrilling action-packed adventure that we call the Bradcast. Coming up, marches for science and and for client uh, for climate are coming up over the next two weekends. Uh, Desi Doyen. Yes. Uh, you got a March for Science uh, coming up this weekend. You got a, what are they calling it? People's March for Climate. People's Climate March. The following weekend. Right. Doesn't that prove that science and climate are totally different things, that climate <laughs> is not science whatsoever because they have to have their own separate march. No, 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 not at all. You know, the, the, the March for Science encompasses really all scientific inquiry, everything from medicine to public health to space to the environment, of course, as well. Also, applied research as well as, you know, climate as uh, on top of it. The People's Climate March was already scheduled before the March for Science came up. The People's Climate March is really about this overarching issue that pretty much affects all life on Earth. Yeah, you're just making up excuses. (laughs) Science and climate have nothing to do with these. Anyway, uh, D.R. Tucker of uh, Washington Monthly, who is formerly, D.R. is, formerly a right-winger, now an indefatigable climate change hawk uh, and right-wing critic, critic of right-wing media, uh, he will join us to discuss the marches, the scientists, and the latest news on the disgraced Bill O'Reilly's firing at uh, at Fox News, which uh, some have called uh, Bill O'Rexit. <laughs> he is he's out of there. Uh, but first, speaking of crazy and allegedly predatory Fox News nonsense, uh oh, Donald Trump. <laughs> 
Uh, you may recall back in, uh, was it July, July 28, 2015, uh, Donald Trump took to Twitter, and it's amazing. I mean, there is a tweet uh, by Donald Trump, uh, uh, an old tweet by Donald Trump on just about every single topic that counters just about every single thing that the man is now doing now that he's president. But uh, this one was July 28, 2015. He said, uh, the Iran deal will go down as one of the dumbest and most dangerous misjudgments ever entered into, into history of our country. Incompetent leader, he added. Of course, he was talking about... Uh, Barack Obama at the time uh, and that uh, that Iran deal. Well, that was uh, that was back in 2015. But a Tuesday of this week from AP, the Trump administration has notified Congress that Iran is complying with the terms of the 2015 nuclear deal negotiated by former President Barack Obama and says that the U.S. has extended the sanctions relief given to the Islamic Republic of, of Iran in exchange for curbs on its atomic program. In other words, one of the dumbest and most dangerous misjudgments ever entered into the history of our country by an incompetent leader seems to be good with Donald Trump at this point. He's all just fine with it. However, he added, uh, they added, the administration added in a letter sent late Tuesday to House Speaker Paul Ryan. Um, in that letter, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson said the administration was taking a full review of the agreement. Tillerson wrote, Iran remains a leading state sponsor of terror through many platforms and methods. He said the National Security Council-led uh, interagency review of the agreement will evaluate whether it is, quote, vital to the national security interests of the United States. Nonetheless, they, uh, they confirmed it and extended the, uh, the relief, sanctions relief, and they said it's working just fine. The, cert uh, the certification of Iran's compliance, which must be sent to Congress every 90 days, is the first such certification issued by the Trump administration. The uh, nuclear deal, of course, with Iran was sealed in Vienna in July of 2015, just before, I think, just before Donald Trump's uh, tweet blasting it. That was after 18 months of negotiations led by former Secretary of State John Kerry and diplomats from the four other permanent members of the U.N. Security Council, being Britain and China and France and Russia, as well as Germany. Under its terms, Iran agreed to curb its nuclear program, long suspected of being aimed at developing atomic weapons, in return for billions of dollars in sanctions relief. Obama and Kerry and others who negotiated the deal strenuously defended its terms at the time and said that the agreement made Israel, the Middle East, and the world a safer place. And apparently, at least for the moment, the Trump administration, at least for Tuesday of this past <laughs> week, the Trump administration appears to agree. Well, I just want to add one or actually two things in there. Remember that part of Good, the deal— Good, because I got more to this story— of what happened on Wednesday. Oh, dear. Anyway, so go ahead. No, go <laughs> so ahead. starting with that, though, yeah. just to, to roll back to the actual negotiations of the Iran deal, it was also a, a serious part of it was negotiated by our former Department of Energy Secretary, Ernest Moniz, who is a physicist, a world-renowned physicist, and he sat down with Iran's nuclear physicists, and they hammered out the actual technical details. That's what happens when you put people who know what they're talking about 
into the actual negotiating are position. S- are you saying that our new Secretary of Energy, Rick Perry, does not know what he's talking about? That is exactly what I'm what? saying. <laughs> He didn't, and of course he does. He didn't know what the uh, Department right. of Energy actually did. He thought it was about oil and gas. Right. He thought about it was a. He he thought the Energy Department was the Interior Department that handled leasing of oil and gas and all of that. But it's not. The Department of Energy handles our nuclear arsenal and our nuclear energy power plants. So that's uh, among other things. No nuclear scientist that Rick, Rick uh, Perry. No exactly. rocket scientist that uh, Rick Perry. Literally. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the fact that the Trump administration simply cannot admit that they might have been wrong about something that's just too a bridge too far so they have to come out and say oh well we're going to review this anyway well apparently they uh they they must have taken some kind of a blowback um for coming out on tuesday and saying yep iran is complying it's all working out just fine we'll be uh, continuing the uh, the deal unlike what we had said uh, you know back when we weren't president uh so that was on tuesday everything is fine then on wednesday Also uh, from AP, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson declared the Iran nuclear deal a failure on Wednesday, uh, but left open the possibility that the Trump administration will uphold it nonetheless. The uh, top diplomat sought to reinforce the notion that the U.S. is aggressively countering Iran's destabilizing behavior throughout the Middle East, even though President Donald Trump so far has not pulled out of the deal. By the way, even if he did pull out of the deal, all of those other countries, uh, Great Britain, France, Germany, Russia, China, was China one of them? Italy. Um, Italy, there we go. Uh, They're all going to stay in the deal. Right. It doesn't make the deal go away. It It just embarrasses the United States. Even if you restore uh, the U.S. sanctions, the only ones that hurts are us because those other countries are going to continue trading with Iran. Uh, Tillerson said the deal brokered by uh, Barack Obama's administration, along with other world powers, represented, quote, the same failed approach the U.S. has taken to North Korea. (laughs) Like the don't laugh. This is serious news, Desi. Uh, Like with uh, the North, Tillerson said the Trump administration was unwilling to be patient with Iran. Tillerson's hastily arranged statement before cameras at the State Department reflected the competing forces pulling at the Trump administration as it develops its own policy towards Iran. So I think it was a hastily arranged statement because the blowback that they were getting from the right wingers for saying, uh, yeah, it's actually working. Um, On the one hand, uh, as AP notes, Trump wants to show he's being tougher than Obama toward Iran. But on the other hand, he's not yet ready to rip up the deal like he said he would on day one. As a candidate, he vowed to discard or at least renegotiate the pact. And shortly after taking office, his administration put Iran, quote, on notice that its troublesome behavior would no longer be tolerated. Uh, But neither Iran nor the other world powers that negotiated the agreement have any interest in reopening the deal. And U.S. companies stand to lose billions if the deal is scuttled. So, of course, they're not going to get out of the deal. They're just going to talk about it. And that will probably be enough for most of the right wing Trump supporters. And continue to give conflicting statements. Right. It's working. It's just fine. We're going to extend it. It's terrible. It's a failure. Take your pick. Since taking office, uh, Trump has stopped promising that he will gut the deal. 
Tillerson said that the decision uh, that decision will be made as part of a government wide review of Iran policy that is currently underway. So we will wait for that review to come back. Uh, Nonetheless, in uh, what the AP describes as an ominous warning, Tillerson linked Iran's behavior to that of North Korea and said that with both countries, the U.S. would no longer engage in strategic patience, quote, strategic patience. And that's, uh, of course, where it gets a little scary. Uh, By the way, I think we've mentioned it this uh, over the past week as we've been talking about North Korea and the criticism that uh, this administration has had over previous administrations treatment of North Korea. Uh, Trump talked about how Bill Clinton and Barack Obama let them get away with whatever it is uh, that they've uh, that North Korea uh, has gotten away with. He, he keeps forgetting to mention that we actually had a treaty that was working that was working under Bill Clinton. The uh, George W. Uh, George W. Bush administration came in and base, basically uh, did something similar here, said, oh, this is not working. It's outrageous. We're not going to deal with North Korea. And during that period of time, that is when North Korea uh, was able to restart their nuclear program and uh, build the nuclear weapons that they yeah. have been testing today. In the previous deal, North Korea agreed to abandon their nuclear program and the United States agreed, hey, we're not going to attack you, so you're all right. You don't have to build up your nuclear program. So in dropping it, it sort of makes sense that, you know, a rational thinker in North Korea would say, oh, well, we need to build up our defenses again. Well, we could use some rational thinkers here, unfortunately, uh, because clearly what you know, the Trump administration is just making up this stuff as they go along. They have no idea what they're actually doing. They have no idea what their actual policies are. And that's what happens. That's what happens when you have a guy who basically uh, everything he knows about politics, he learned on Fox News. And so it's kind of funny, I guess, uh, you know, oh, Trump did this stupid thing or that stupid thing. But, you know, then we get to serious issues like, you know, potential thermonuclear war with uh, with North Korea, uh, with, you know, what would be a certainly a a third world war if we attacked uh, Iran at this point, something that we're, you know, since this since this peace deal. Uh, at least on the nuclear weapons uh, portion, uh, you know, we have not been talking about with Iran. But now we're going to have to talk about going doing that again, going to war with North Korea, going to war with Iran. We've already launched a war on Syria. So this is damn dangerous stuff. And, you know, setting our policy based on what somebody said to Donald Trump when he was watching Fox News is crazy. And it's not just on matters of war and peace. It's also on matters of science and climate and planet Earth. And that's what we're going to talk about next with my guest, Dr. Tucker. We're going to talk about that and about Fox News and Bill O'Reilly. That's coming up next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. 
but we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com donate, and thanks. Science is real from the Big Bang to DNA. Science is real from evolution to the Milky Way. Sure, you say it's real. Lamar Smith and the U.S. House Science Committee may think otherwise. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I, uh, I wanted to talk about the upcoming marches for science uh, coming up this weekend in uh, in D.C. and all across the country, as well as the People's Climate March set for next weekend. I wanted to talk about both of those things today, but as a thunderbolt has struck the right-wing media over the past 24 hours or so with the firing of right-wing cable news's longtime top star Bill O'Reilly finally finally uh, getting the axe after years of repeated allegations of sexual harassment of female colleagues and Fox News seemingly facilitating it all with multiple secret million-dollar settlements with his accusers. Um, I'm actually delighted to have a guest today who who I know has been watching both matters closely, both uh, uh, the science and the right wing media uh, for a number of years. So he'll be able to talk about both with us here today, I hope. But first, let's start with with the science and the fact that uh, in no small part, Thanks to the rise of Donald Trump, science and scientific fact and evidence-based policy and decision-making is newly under attack as perhaps never before seen in this country. As Kevin Kelhoffer of Media Matters summarized recently, and by the way, I'm happy to cite Media Matters today, given that they have been Bill O'Reilly's target uh, thanks to their fact-based, independently verifiable journalistic research. They're still here, Media Matters is, but Bill O'Reilly, he's gone. In any case, uh, Kelhoffer writes, Since the election, multiple media outlets have accused the Trump administration and the Republican Party of waging a war on science And he says, with good reason, the Trump administration has appointed a climate denier to head the Environmental Protection Agency, proposed budget cuts that would eliminate billions of dollars for scientific research programs, called climate related government programs, quote, a waste of money and banned the use of the term climate change at the Department of Energy. As for the rest of the GOP, uh, Kelhoffer writes, House Republicans have passed bills that would stifle science at the EPA, and the Republican-led House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology has endorsed climate science denial and bogus accusations of data manipulation promulgated by propaganda outlet Breitbart.com. The committee... 
uh, has also held a hearing aimed at disputing the scientific consensus on human-caused climate change. And these alarming trends, he writes, have prompted scientists, educators, and other uh, and other citizens to organize and participate in the March for Science on Earth Day, Saturday, April 22nd, and the People's Climate March on Saturday, April 29. But in the months leading up to the marches, scientists have been finally voicing their concerns in the media. Here are a few of those scientists talking about the need to talk about, yes, science and stand up for themselves. This is PBS uh, earlier this week. Today, science fights back. I think scientists, you know, it's not in our natural nature to, to shout, to make a loud noise, but um, apparently we can do it when we come together. As scientists, it's, it's actually our responsibility um, and as citizens to um, warn the public when we see danger. You know, if you see something, say something. Um, we feel a civic duty. Science has been political since the time of Galileo. Nothing has changed between now and then. But it's important that we're nonpartisan because this is a march for science and that unifies everyone around the world. This would be, it's purported to be, a demonstration for science, the very idea of science, the essence of science. Isn't that a, a wonderful idea? This rally isn't about promoting a particular policy. It's about promoting the idea that the scientific enterprise as a whole improves our lives. We lost a sense of a kind of civic obligation, a reciprocal obligation, that if we expect the taxpayer to pay for what we do, that we also should, that they have an expectation that we should be spending time explaining it. And I think that breakdown, that reciprocal communication breakdown, has had real consequences in our lifetimes. The scientific community made a mistake in not taking that more seriously. And so now we're in a situation where it's become a crisis. And now the scientific community, I think, realizes that we have a very serious problem in our hands. Scientists, as a rule, are not comfortable being out there politically. But we should. Putting science into politics and into society is something that they can do and should do, probably must do. Putting scientists into politics and society, I think it may come as a surprise to many that scientists haven't really been a part of the political discussions, particularly about science, for, uh, for many years in many ways, and uh, particularly given the almost entirely baseless claims by many on the right that science itself has long been politicized. That's somewhat ironic, I think, given that it is the right, particularly uh, since Citizens United in 2010, the Supreme Court ruling, unleashed millions of dollars of corporate money into our political system. That has, in fact, politicized science, as I see it, and, uh, and the fight against science like we have never seen before in this country. My guest today is someone who has both participated in one sense in the, uh, in the right-wing politicization of science, it could be argued, and for many years now has fought against that politicization after having seen the light by actually bothering to, you know, read the science that so many on the right never even seemed to bother to before dismissing it as politicized or, even worse, as a hoax. D.R. Tucker is a Massachusetts-based journalist and contributor to Washington Monthly, where he is the weekend editor since 2014. He has also written for the Huffington Post, the Washington Spectator, 
the Metro Daily News, environmental journalist Peter Sinclair's great Climate Crocs site, and yes, even at bradblog.com. He's also a member of the executive committee of the Massachusetts Sierra Club, from where he joins us today. D.R. Tucker, my friend, welcome back to the broadcast. Thanks. How are you doing? Oh, hanging in there, uh, given all that's going on. I uh, hope you are doing the same. Uh, is the uh, I know you're at the uh, Sierra Club today. Is is the Massachusetts Sierra Club actually participating in some way in these uh, in these two upcoming marches for science and then climate? Yes, uh, there will be uh, buses going down to uh, both marches, I believe, and there are also local local uh, marches for science and marches and the People's Climate March as well, taking place this weekend and next weekend. Those must be the Massachusetts buses that are used to uh, take people to New Hampshire to vote illegally uh, in most cases. Uh, what, what does what does it say that uh, DR that we, we that we have to have a march for science or even a march for climate? I mean, this seems to me like in one sense, you know, a, a campaign in favor of breathing. Uh, and, and maybe uh, now that I ask it that way, maybe is, is that part of the problem that we sort of come to take certain things that seem common sense to folks like you and me, that we, we've come to take them perhaps too much for granted in this country? Well, well, the sad thing is, is that if you think about it, science has been under assault for a very, very long time in this country, even predating the rise of right wing media. I, I did a piece uh about a year or so ago, mentioning, you know, the 1925 Butler Bill, which banned the teaching of evolution in Tennessee. And I, I made the point that, you know, this is before Rush Limbaugh was even born, mm-hmm. or Bill O'Reilly for that matter. So for, for a long, long time in this country, there has been this sort of anti-intellectual, anti-science mentality. It's been uh, monetized, as uh, people like Rupert Murdoch have proven, and it has to be resisted. And this march, these marches are an attempt, uh, a long overdue attempt, I would argue, to resist it. But I would also caution, as I've cautioned uh, on a number of occasions, that marching alone is not going to accomplish it. The march has to continue right to the ballot box to throw out people who are anti-science and elect to those who are pro-science. And uh, whether the whether these uh, upcoming marches will will help in that regard, I guess is uh, well that remains to be seen. And uh, but I know this, I know that it, it, I don't know if it drives you crazy or not. Actually, to discuss the aspects of your own journey uh, towards science, but I, I think it's important here, uh, and even on the O'Reilly stuff that we get to that we'll get to in a bit. Your background, you you were for much of your life, I think it's fair to say, a, a right winger. Is that is that fair to call you a right Yeah, that's fair to say. Okay. Definitely. But, but when I first got to know you, DR, uh, it was because uh, after years of being a right winger and even a science denier, you suddenly changed your mind, did an about face, and frankly have been one of the, uh, you know, the, the, the greatest advocates I've, I've come to know for years uh, now uh, when it comes to science and fact-based journalism and so forth. You changed your mind. That is very rare. What happened that, that, that brought you to change your mind and see things uh, to actually take a complete 180 on the issue? Well, it was actually the nexus of science and politics. Uh, the, the thing that shocked me about seven years ago now was the Delaware Senate race where you had the, that primary to fill Joe Biden's uh, vacated Senate seat, and mm-hmm. that was the Republican primary pitting Mike Castle, mm-hmm. one of the few Republicans who had voted for the Waxman-Markey cap-and-trade bill, against Christine I Am Not a Witch O'Donnell. Yes. And Christine O'Donnell 
justification for him not to win the primary. In fact, she won the primary. That was something that had completely horrified me, and this was two years after uh, Newt Gingrich got pilloried for doing that commercial with Nancy Pelosi, which I also thought was, you know, it, it was just wrong for people to sort of trash him for that. And then I started and that was just to, just to remind people, that was Newt Gingrich and Nancy Pelosi sort of sitting on a couch together saying, hey, if there's anything we agree on, it's science and the need to do something about global warming and climate change, if I remember that commercial correctly. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, amidst all, all this all, all this controversy and what I thought was a, a, a bizarre decision to sort of scorn Mike Castle merely because he had voted for the cap-and-trade bill, I started to take a look at the science and read the fourth IPCC report and came to the conclusion that, in fact, as the intro song says, science is real and that there needed to be a policy response to the issue of climate change. And and that was something that IPCC, the International, uh, what is it, Panel on... The International... I'm sorry, you. you've messed me Intergovernat- up. The Intergovernmental yes. Panel on Climate Change from the United Nations. That was... Thank you, Desi Doy. And that <laughs> was... Uh, that, that's what the, the right had been pillaring for years uh, as far as, oh, it's politicized uh, science from these uh, liberal scientists. We're talking about the U.N., hundreds and hundreds of uh, thousands of, of scientists who had worked to put that report together. And you actually bothered to do what these guys hadn't. Uh, you bothered to read it. Uh, and, uh, you know, with that in mind... Uh, you know, wh- what is the best way to reach those folks who don't bother to read science, who instead have been brainwashed, really, uh, into, you know, not understanding this issue, purposely so, by folks like, you know, Fox News, Rush Limbaugh? Is there any way to reach them? And will these marches for science uh, actually help or will it hurt in that regard, since you know those folks so well? Well, well the sad thing is, you know, again, this nexus of science, politics, and media, I think one of the reasons why so many people are sort of blind to the science is, that because, is because they've been fed all this nonsense by, uh, as our friend Betsy Rosenberg calls them, the deniosaurs, people like Bill O'Reilly, people who dominate our broadcast and cable networks, and the fact that you don't see any sort of pro-science representation on such broadcast and cable networks. Uh, and to that end, just take a look at how little coverage the March for Science and the People's Climate March will receive this weekend at next. And the next, we, remember, we recall the 2013 uh, Forward on Climate March, which received a combined 38 seconds of coverage on CBS and NBC. How much more, you know, ignoring of these marches and of the message of these marches will occur uh, through, our, through our corporate media. It, it's, that's largely part of the problem that you have what Chris Hayes calls an asymmetry of intensity. You have, you know, right-wing corporate right-wing media entities that drive drive home an anti-science agenda, but you have mainstream corporate media entities that don't express a pro-science point of view because they're, because of this irrational fear of being branded as having a, a liberal bias. And as a result, we have this you know, significant percentage of the country believing absolute nonsense like Trump's insertion that climate change is some sort of hoax. Uh, that said, Dr. Tucker, there, you know, with the rise of Donald Trump, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, for example, uh, after years and years of, of of the right telling us what a disaster Obamacare is, it's terrible, it's it's ruining the country. Now that they tried to kill it, all of a sudden you have a lot of people, uh, you know, 
understanding what they would be losing if that was taken away from them. It was almost as if uh, we had to have this threat to something like uh, Obamacare before we understood uh, the the positive uh, parts of it. Uh, ben, climate scientist Ben Sanger was recently on the uh, the the Seth Meyers. What is it? Late night with Beth yeah, Seth actually, Meyers. It's, it's late it, night with Seth Meyers, and go. his name is Ben Santer. Oh, thank you. Uh, he, now he's uh, he, a climate scientist who has been doing this uh, for years. Uh, uh, very well known amongst the uh, uh, the science community, but. He comes on a late night comedy show for the first time because now scientists are forced to do this, I guess, in order to make their case. But I think ultimately that's a good thing. In any event, uh, he, as others I've spoken to, remain optimistic, uh, even in this dark, dire moment with uh, with what Trump is trying to do uh, when it comes to science and the EPA. Uh, Here was... uh, here was his explanation, Ben Santer, on why he thinks uh, this moment is actually something we should be optimistic about. Obviously, this is a scary time. It's an interesting time, as you've called it. Yet you're, you remain optimistic. And I was happy to hear that. But where are you finding optimism right now, considering uh, the sort of uh, deck that's stacked against you? Well, it seems like a real teachable moment. Climate science has been elevated in public discourse. Look at that. Look at... Senator Cruz appearing on your program making testable claims. Uh, The President of the United States saying nobody really knows the causes of climate change. And we do. So this is a moment when when people are willing to listen. When I can come on your show and say nobody really knows is wrong. It's fake news. Yeah. So a climate scientist on The Late Show with Seth Meyers, uh, you know, I doubt he would have been able to make that argument a few years ago or even if, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton was in the White House now. Uh, DR, is there an argument to be made that uh, maybe all of this is a good thing because it finally does, uh, you know, bring to bear these ridiculous arguments, these dangerous arguments that so many on the right are, are have been making? Well... <laughs> Pardon, pardon my uh, pessimism here, but part of the reason why I'm so pessimistic is look where Ben Santer was making the argument. Why is it that a guy like Santer has to go... Why is it that only Seth Meyers is willing to have this discussion? Why is this not on, on NBC Nightly News or ABC World News Tonight or CBS Evening News? You know, again, it's, it's great that, that, you know, Stephen Colbert and, and, and Jimmy Kimmel, you know, you know it, it's great that they're providing a, a form... But the fact that science is being relegated to late-night talk shows instead of the nightly news is a problem. It is a media problem. It is a political problem. It is a moral problem. Until science is given the prominence in the media that it deserves, we're going to have, apparently we're going to have to keep on having more marches and more marches and more marches until science is given a proper place in our political and cultural discussion. Well, do you see any... Actually, I want to give you some some pushback on that, but do you see any signs that, that coverage of this issue is getting any better in, in light of the Trump administration and Republican assaults on scientific facts and you know their intentions to cut regulations meant to prevent or curb toxic pollution? Any evidence that the threat to those things has, in fact, 
improved uh, the way the media regards these issues, whether it's late night or, uh, you know, NBC News? If you had asked me this question before the New York Times decided to hire Brett Stevens, I might have said, maybe things are getting better, but on the heels of that, on the heels of, of an of a anti-science, you know, jerk, basically given a prominent position to sort of spew his denialism, I, I, I tend to have, again, a, 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 fairly, a fairly pessimistic point of view on things. It, it's, you know, again... It, it, it's, it's just it's just an outrage. This is this is the issue that is uh, Ross Gelbspin, uh, the, the great environmental writer, has noted. It is the issue that if it's not covered and if it's not addressed, if it's not resolved, it will override all other issues. This is the point I, I made a couple of days ago. You know, in all this talk about you know Trump's actions in Syria, where has been the focus? on the reality that the problems that are occurring in Syria were exacerbated by climate change. Mm-hmm. How often have you seen that discussed in the corporate media? The last time I've seen it discussed was in, you know, the Years Living Dangerously documentary. This is part of the problem that, you know, again, this sort of scorning of science, pushing science to the side, it's not really that important. We don't really have to cover these marches this weekend. You know, you know science is less important than Donald Trump's tweets. That seems to be the attitude of so much of our media, and, it, and it's just sickening in, in my view. I know you speak with a lot of scientists yourself, uh, as do we here, uh, including Dr. Michael Mann, who, who we've had on the show many times. He seems to be one of the few scientists, really, who have been willing to take to these public forums, even adversarial ones, like a, a recent adversarial hearing in the uh, in the U.S. House Science Committee. Uh, and I had to put that in quotes here, the so-called science committee, I guess. Uh, he shows up to speak up for science. But, you know, he's kind of been an outlier for years, Dr. Uh, in his willingness to, to, to face down and take on the politics of the issue of climate change. Uh, how much are the scientists themselves here to blame for not getting out and not uh, speaking up more for themselves? And you know, in speaking to these scientists yourselves, what is your what is your sense uh, of why more of these scientists have not publicly spoken up for their work over the years? I think the scientists have done an exemplary job, and certainly Michael Mann has. I think uh, a part of the issue is again, you know. I can I can certainly understand why some scientists might just be tired of being of, of having their motives constantly questioned, mm-hmm. questioned having having uh you know newspapers run letters to the editor by by people who write in these rants accusing them of making up the science and and of, and of being on the take and all this sort of nonsense. I mean it, it can it can get to you after a while just just being beaten down by by the false god of false balance that exists in in, in so much of our media. I mean it, it, it you know you can, you can you can you can hear the frustration in my voice because <laughs> if you just go back just from the beginning of the year and in terms of the coverage of what Trump is doing and how much of these stories always seem to have a quote from the Myron Abels of the world and the Mark Moranos of the world and these people who are known liars and known disinformers and yet the mainstream media accords them respect puts them on an equal playing field with actual scientists. It's horrifying, and it needs to stop. And it just, you know, can you can just hear how frustrated I am just seeing this at the beginning of the year because it aids and abets what Trump is doing. It confuses the public. It re- results in a, in a situation where the American public does not understand the magnitude of the threats we're facing from issues like climate change, and it results in this inertia and this rolling back of whatever progress Obama tried to make, that this rolling back of progress by, by Trump and Scott Pruitt. 
Uh, I want to talk about Bill O'Reilly just to get you more worked up, Dr. Uh, <laughs> be, but before I do, you know, we, we've been doing our uh, our Green News report uh, six minutes twice weekly for more than eight years now, and I can tell you. Uh, one of the things that we try to do is to make some of these science-related matters somehow accessible to the general public. And, I, you know, I've always felt that science coverage in the media has been sort of marginalized or ghettoized, you know, on weekend public radio shows uh, aimed at reaching people who are who are already on board anyway. Uh, you know, we try to, to to reach out somehow to make it accessible. I don't know if we succeed or not, but uh, it doesn't much of the blame here belong to the media. You've already identified, you know, NBC News and so forth, which doesn't cover this issue at all. You know, they say it's too boring uh, or something to cover. They've ghettoized the coverage. I, I just wanted to, you know, push back on your earlier comment about late night. I think it is important to reach audiences that don't otherwise, that won't otherwise get this information. And, uh, you know, to that end, you know what? The, the hell with the nightly news. They're disappearing. Don't we need to find new ways to reach, you know, mere mortals, uh, uh, DR, with this important information? Because obviously the, uh, the, the news ain't getting it. That, that's, a, that's a fair point, but, but I would counter-argue that there are still many, many Americans who are still watching the nightly news. It has not entirely sort of disappeared as a, as, a, as a form of cultural influence. And, you know, just think of how many Americans are, are in bed by the time, you know, you know, Jimmy Kimmel are on, and they don't have the time to sort of watch, you know, clips on YouTube the next day. Uh, you know, again, it, it, it's, it's great that the late-night hosts are trying to sort of stand up for science, but the problem is the media needs to stand up for science. I mean, the fact of the matter is, is that reporters need to breathe clean air and drink clean water. So, you know, this idea of sort of dismissing science as a niche issue, dismissing climate change as a niche issue, it is just, it is just morally repugnant and, 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 a, and a breach, in my view, of journalistic ethics. Speaking of uh, breaches of journalistic ethics, uh, moral repugnancy, and even the false god of false balance, and the gift that he is getting on the way out the door. Bill O'Reilly is leaving Fox News with a payout of up to $25 million, according to the New York Times this afternoon. That's the equivalent of one year of his salary. Two people uh, briefed on the matter told the paper uh, on Thursday for 21st Century Fox, the network's parent company, payouts related to sexual harassment allegations at Fox News now total more than $85 million. Uh, the vast majority of that, up to $65 million in, uh, in exit packages, is being paid to the men who were ousted from the network because of the harassment allegations. That would be Mr. O'Reilly and uh, his former boss, Roger Ailes, both now out uh, after years of uh, allegations of multiple harassment against female employees at the quote-unquote news network. Uh, I'm speaking with D.R. Tucker of Washington Monthly, uh, who has been uh, covering uh, right-wing media very closely uh, for many years. Um, DR, we had a caller at the end of yesterday's broadcast who suggested that O'Reilly would be the perfect new White House press secretary. And as it turns out, uh, that caller might have been a, a Washington Monthly reader because you wrote about the exact same thing a few days ago uh, at Washington Monthly. Uh, you suggested that O'Reilly would be the perfect fit at the White House. Really? <laughs> well, he, he, he 
clearly, uh, uh, as I suggested, more qualified than Mr. Spicer. Uh, but, uh, you know, $25 million he's walking away with. That, that's like winning the prejudice Powerball, basically. I mean, if you think, <laughs> if you t- if, let's, let's stop and, t- and take a, uh, take a, a look at, at things, because, you know, I'm listening to all, the, all this coverage and talking about, you know, you know, the influence of O'Reilly and how, and how important of a voice he is. An important voice for what? Anti-science, anti-women, anti-minority, anti-rationality, anti-fact. I mean, you know, you know <coughs> seriously, when this, when this guy passes away, what exactly is, is his obituary going to say? <laughs> you know, what kind, what kind, of, what kind of legacy is, is left? It's a, it's a legacy uh, of trash, basically. You, uh, you, uh, Dr. You follow uh, a, a lot, as I said, a lot of media. Fox News did not even did not seem to care at all about the multiple allegations uh, of sexual harassment for many years against Bill O'Reilly. Uh, they didn't care about that, uh, it seems, until sponsors started falling off. More than I think it was seventy or so as of this week, they had already paid out some $13 million uh, on just O'Reilly-related sexual harassment claims alone uh, over recent years, and they were kept secret. They didn't say anything about it. Once it came out, thanks to the New York Times a couple of weeks ago, that's when everyone, uh, you know, when uh, people started to take them to task for it. Can you imagine a a non-right-winger surviving for so many years on the airwaves with even you know just one such allegation against them absolutely not and you know you're, we're we're he- we're hearing and at least at least i've seen you know you mm-hmm. know some some of the uh, some of the o'reilly defenders uh, basically complaining about you know media matters and other groups that sim- that simply that essentially launched you know a campaign and sort of you know Challenge the advertisers to basically to, to determine, you know, do they want to stand on the side of Mr. O'Reilly? And to that, I want to, to, the, to that, I think it, this point has to be made for all the people who are trying to say that it was somehow unfair for, for progressives to sort of go after advertisers. Sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. It's 20 years ago this month that, that Ellen DeGeneres had a old show on ABC in which, mm. which, he, which he came out as gay. And, and do you remember what happened after that show? Do you remember how all those right-wing groups start basically throwing a fit and going after the advertisers, and within, one, and, and within one year, Ellen's show was off the air? Do you remember years ago, uh, uh, there, was, there was some sort of, it may not have been a specific right-wing group, but there were certainly right-wingers, who had tried to launch a, a, an advert, an, a, a challenge to the advertisers to try to get married with children kicked off the air? Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there were other, there were other such things. There was an ironic thing that happened years ago, where uh, I think Brent Bozell's outfit tried to get uh, WWE SmackDown kicked off uh, UPN, which is interesting because, of course. Linda McMahon, the wife of Vince McMahon, is now Trump's, uh, you know, head yeah. running running Trump's Small Business sure. Association. So, you know, all these right wingers who don't like it when progressives go after advertisers, hey, pioneered the tactic of going after advertisers. Was it not the Christian right? Who who went after Ellen? Who went after Married with Children? It was all these sort of Christian right wingers. So if, if they're complaining about it now, too bad. Yes, too bad indeed. You you had mentioned uh, in the minute or so we have left here, uh, uh, Dr. That uh, you, you were listening to uh, WGBH, uh, which is one of the uh, NPR affiliates in Boston, where you are out there uh, today talking about the O'Reilly case, and uh, you were hearing a lot of uh, people on the right actually defending Bill O'Reilly. 
Yeah, there were two calls from people who claim that this is all just a witch hunt and and basic and basically a, a, a political crusade against O'Reilly. And even when the and even when the hosts brought up the Andrea Macris evidence, they still said it was just allegations and just a witch hunt. And it goes to show you the effect how effective right wing media can brainwash people. And and it's and it's just a, a, a complete shame and it goes to sort of the political divisions we have in this country, why there will always be a core of people who support Trump, why there will always be a core of people who, who reject science and in their, in their own ways resist science, and why we need to have marching and voting and more action to make sure that the forces of science and reality and logic emerge victorious on the battlefield of ideas. It's hard to uh, it's it's hard to be against marching and voting and reality, but incredibly, uh, we have a huge number of people apparently in this country who are against all of the above. But uh, Dr. Tucker, I want to thank you for your continuing uh, marching and voting and reality. You can find Dr. Tucker's work where there is no false god of false balance uh, at WashingtonMonthly.com, and you can and should follow him on the. Twitter's at DR Tucker. DR, my friend, always great to talk to you, sir. Let's do it again in the near future. Thanks. Thank you. Okay, a, uh, a quick break. We've got some breaking news out of Arkansas. As I've been speaking with DR, we'll hit that and some uh, karma that may, uh, as one writer says, uh, bite Trump right in the ass coming up. That's straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast, both brought to you without corporate or political influence. Why? Because we rely on you to help keep us completely independent. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate today and help us stay on your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com slash donate. You'll thank yourself later. I'll thank you now. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I mentioned uh, this breaking news that uh, just came in before the break. It looks like uh, Arkansas uh, says that one of two executions scheduled for Thursday night will not go ahead as of now. We, uh, we spoke earlier this week with Rob Dunham of the Death Penalty Information uh, Center about this extra, this unprecedented uh, series of executions that Arkansas had planned um, over uh, this week and next. A- eight executions in all, two a night over four different nights because their supply of uh, one of the drugs, one of the three drugs that they use to kill prisoners in Arkansas was about to expire uh, on May 1. And so they rushed all of these uh, killings 
into these uh, into these uh, about ten days for these eight different killings. Yeah, that's what Rob Dunham called the kill by date. It was not a le- a good legal reason to kill anybody. Right, as opposed to a use by date right. on the yeah they turned it into a kill by date. Well, the the first two men who were set to be executed, uh, that was blocked by uh, various courts earlier in the week. Now we've got one of the two men who were set to be killed in a double killing tonight in Arkansas. There has been a, a stay on one of them. I uh, haven't got uh, got time yet to uh, read through what it is, uh, which particular ruling, but uh, one of them for now has been spared. I suspect there's going to be a bunch of other rulings between now and and the time the, uh, the, the other prisoner is set to be killed, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, we'll see. So the... Uh, the, the killing, or at least the plan to, contil, uh, to kill, continues in Arkansas. Uh, a bit of uh, karma <laughs> coming back as uh, a, a Daily Coast writer, and I've confirmed this story, but uh, I love the way that uh, that he writes this. This is Murfster35 over Daily Coast, uh, wrote last night, Breaking Trump's karma is about to bite him right in the ass. We'll see if it does or not. Um, He says it's been a confusing couple of days regarding the story of Juan Manuel Montez, the first confirmed recipient, uh, DACA recipient, which is the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. He's the first recipient of DACA still covered to be deported by Trump's new brown shirts, writes Murfster. On February 17, waiting for a ride, he was picked up by Custom and Border Patrol in Calexico, California. Uh, He had left his wallet in a friend's car, so he didn't have ID, and uh, U.S. Customs Border and Protection refused to let him get his wallet, and he was deported to Mexico three hours later. CBP, uh, Customs and Border Protection, uh, initially claimed that his DACA status had expired a year earlier. Now, DACA, that's the program for uh, for kids who came over when they were very young. They came over illegally with their parents, but, you know, because through no fault of their own, through no fault of their own. Right. They were allowed under Barack Obama. uh, They were allowed to sign up with the federal government and be allowed to stay for a certain period to have their uh, their uh, deportation deferred. Well, uh, now uh, DACA, who had, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Customs and Border Protection, who had picked this guy up, said his DACA status had expired. Now they have admitted that his status uh, hadn't actually expired, that he is still protected under DACA. But now they claim that he invalidated his protection because he left the country. Oh, really? When yeah, when he was thrown out, when they threw him out of the country, country, so they were the ones who did it, and now they're blaming him for that. Now comes now comes the karma. Several lawsuits have been filed over the case. One of them uh, already has a home, and uh, guess where guess where this home is? Uh, The case will be heard by the Honorable Judge Gonzalo Curiel. Oh. Name rings a bell. Yes. Uh, If he sounds familiar, he should. He's the U.S. born federal judge from Indiana who then candidate Donald Trump had railed against as being unable to treat Trump fairly in the Trump University cases, I think it was, uh, because Judge Curiel is, as uh, as Trump described him, Mexican. 
uh, and because Trump wanted to build a wall. Back in an interview in June of 2016, after months of accusations from Trump that Curiel was biased against him, Trump said that Curiel ought to be ineligible to preside over the case because he was Mexican, but Curiel was born in the U.S. He's of Mexican descent. And nonetheless, uh, Trump said, uh, we're building a wall. He's a Mexican. We're building a wall between here and Mexico. So he couldn't possibly preside over his case. Right. Uh, anyway, uh, Judge Curiel is going to be presiding over this case, the first case of uh, DACA uh, recipient challenging what Donald Trump is doing under his administration. So that'll be fun to watch. That'll be fun to watch if uh, if uh, Trump tries to uh, get uh, Curiel to recuse himself or starts attacking the federal judge again. Maybe some karma ready to bite Trump in the ass. Uh, Murfster says, I guess we're going to find out a couple of things damn quick. First, we're going to discover whether or not Trump has learned to keep his big fat gob shut or not. And second, we're going to find out if U.S. District Court judges have short memories or not. Mm. He adds popcorn alert. All right. One more before we go. Uh, in celebration of April 20, 420, sort of a holiday for stoners. Advocates for legalized pot were handing out free joints to congressional staffers and reporters who work on Capitol Hill. The action, scheduled on Thursday afternoon, was intended as a protest against federal interference with states that have legal pot. Recreational marijuana is legal in the District of Columbia. As a result of a ballot initiative, voters approved in 2014. So remember, voters actually themselves, you hear Republicans all the time talking about, you know, uh, states' rights, small government. What the American people want. Let the people decide at the local level. Well, the people in the District of Columbia decided that they wanted recreational marijuana to be legal. Uh, And yet uh, the city government has been barred by Congress uh, in the way they uh, they deal with it, they're barred from taxing pot or from regulating its sale, effectively keeping it from being sold in D.C. Because the uh, the Congress actually has the approval, believe it or not, for uh, for laws that are determined by the people of D.C. of the District of Columbia. Nonetheless, uh, so Congress can't, uh, or uh, I'm sorry, the city can't uh, tax it, can't regulate its sale. However, giving it away for free is apparently legal. Oh. Little loophole there. So participants in Thursday's action, they will not be risking arrest by giving it away to uh, congressional staffers, uh, reporters who work on Capitol Hill, and uh, probably Congress members themselves, although they're gone for uh, two weeks because they're taking an Easter break for 18 days while we're in the middle of Everything that we're in the middle of. Another protest is scheduled for Monday, however, that could lead to arrests. Uh, In that one, activists plan to light up and smoke pot near the Capitol. Smoking in public remains illegal in Washington, although the prohibition often goes unenforced. So there's a little 420 news for you. I know it's your favorite holiday of the year, Desi Doyen. Uh, My thanks to you, Desi, our producer, uh, and to my guest today, D.R. Tucker of Washington Monthly. And also my thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it for free anytime at bradblog.com. My thanks of those of you who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. 
to help us continue to do what we try to do every day right here over your public airwaves. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. Always good to hear from you. You can also find, follow, and share us far and wide on the Twitters and the Facebooks at The Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.